You know what's so nice is you get to practice on the first service, and by the time you get to second service, you actually know what you're going to say. It's just good for you. Well done for coming in the second morning. Anyway, I, uh, I've got a couple of announcements. Um, if my, my younger staff, so Sia and the guys in Kids Church, told me that you wouldn't be able to hear my preach because my shoes were too loud. Uh, and if that was, if that was the case, um, just to let you know, it was my wife's fault. Uh, she told me that Kloof needed a little bit of potty, so she said, like, some potty down below will get the vibe up. Fathers, you'll be able to hear me, huh? Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Lord help. Okay, two, two announcements. The first one is this. Uh, in the business space. I'm looking for some mentors. About, I don't know, a month or two ago, I went down to a private school in Mlazi, and, uh, and I listened to my friend um, Kambule. He began to speak about mentorship to the kids that were there. It was funny because there were 20 black, very powerful entrepreneurs there and little white me, and, uh, and they were talking about mentoring these kids because basically to, to graduate, to get your matric in that school, you have to start a business before you leave. So, so he's looking to bring the best of the best in to help probably the, the poorest catchment area of, of people. And so I've got 15 now. I need five more mentors. So if, if it, God puts on your heart to be a mentor, I'd love to take you and the other 15 guys down to that school for a presentation. You can agree to sign up or not after that. That'll be happening on the 17th. If you're keen, you have to con- connect with me afterwards. And then the second thing is that, um, don't be mean to him, he makes coffee. Uh, the second thing is that uh, on the 25th, we have a business breakfast, and we've got Gugud Lamini, who turned Amgani water around. Amgani was running at about 200 million rand loss. She turned it into 50 million rand profit within three years. She's kind of inspiring. And then uh, and we've got the head of of economic development, and we've got the head of Innovate Durban speaking. So if you're thinking about a good investment to your time, come to that breakfast. Okay, almost finished with announcements. This announcement affects your lead couple, Paul and Byrne. They are going to be going on sabbatical. Now, this came, we made a decision pretty in the last week, to be honest. Uh, we, we realized there was a bit of a window of opportunity before we go into a big push with building project. He goes and multiplies and fills the earth and, and they have more children. And he's been serving faithfully for just under nine years. Uh, and and here's, here's the thing in church, I know a lot of you business guys go, you don't understand, I'm in stress. So I just want to say to you, then take a sabbatical. But we in, in ministry, we, we face a different kind of stress, often emotional, and I made the stupid enough mistake that I only went on sabbatical when I got into trouble, uh, when my marriage was a little bit shaky. We get the privilege of sending this couple before anything bad happens. They're in good space to lead us into the next season. So they're going to be taking eight weeks of sabbatical, starting next week. Gary Blair is going to be coming in to, to lead you guys over the next little while. Don't worry, he's also nice, and, uh, and he's, he's very funny. And so, so he'll be here over the next little while, but they'll be back for carols. Here's what I'd love you to do. If you could bless them with all your heart when they go, I promise it'll be good for you. I just went on a holiday, and my, my church thanked me because my preaching got so much better because I was getting stale before. If, if you will, as we pray for them now and send them after they've done such a good job for so long, if you will just bless them in your heart, I think something spiritual happens. Is that cool? 
Some of you look unconvinced. Come burning, come. Look at this wonderful couple. There we go. Thank you. They are awesome. You have no idea how awesome. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this couple. And I pray that this time away will be blessed and filled with refreshing, with God-given vision, with ways of doing life that will set them up into the next season to be amazing as a couple, amazing parents, and incredible as church leaders. And Lord, I pray your anointing comes on them, and this is a season of great rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you give them a hand for all they do? Thank you. Okay, let me, let me get into to the message today. Um, about, I think it was in the late 80s, Kruger conducted a culling operation. The reason for that was that Kruger pretty consistently runs at double the amount of elephants that the, the ground can handle. Basically, that's, that's how it works. And uh, so they got to the late 80s, and they thought, we need to cull. And so they culled, but they kept the babies. They kept the young. And uh, the rationale was, let's take the babies, because we have the ability to transport them to other parks. One of the parks they moved the young to was Peelensburg National Park. And they took them in there. And what was fascinating is that the elephant found the rhino and began to bond to the rhino. They went wherever the rhino went, they ate wherever the rhino ate, and they, they just connected to the rhino. But as the elephant got older and older, they, they got into their teenage years and they hit what's called must. Now, humans hit this too. It's when the hormones are higher than the IQ. <laughs> Some of you still there? No, no, just joking, just joking. The elephant hit must, but they hit it 10 years early. They hit it at about 16 to 18. They should normally hit it at 28. And what should generally happen in elephant is that they hit it kind of one at a time. But these elephants hit it all at the same time. And so they went mad. And the elephant decided that they were going to try and mate with the rhino, which always goes badly if you operate out of your species. Like, it's not going to go well. The rhino weren't as keen as the elephant. And so... And so what actually happened is the elephants started killing the rhino. And by the mid-90s, 63 rhino had been killed. In fact, here's a picture of um, this elephant's name is Tom Tom, and he's taking out a rhino there. They, they displayed such rogue behavior. They, they became delinquents, these elephants. He started recruiting other elephants from other national parks. He, it was just, I mean, from other parks around. He was an absolute nightmare. They were killing rhino. They were affecting, they were charging and attacking hippo. Um, a professional hunter came in to shoot this guy, and he somehow got around and managed to kill the professional hunter. Then they brought another professional hunter and killed um, his brother, and, uh, and it just, it was carnage. It just went south. And so they thought about it, and they thought, what should we do? And they came up with an idea. Now that we have the ability and the technology to move an adult elephant, let's bring a father a massive bull elephant into this park and just see what happens. So they brought this guy, his name's Amarula. That's five tons of elephant. He is huge. He was one of the bigger elephant in Kruger. And they decided, let's bring the bull of bulls in to try and see what happens. So they dumped him into Pillensburg National Park. And within 24 hours, one of the elephant in must decided to attack him. 
Now, those elephants were by that stage in their 20s, which means they're about three and a half tons, maybe a little bit more. That's five tons. And so this elephant in Mass decided to charge him. He charged that elephant, lifted him off the ground, and threw him down to, the, down to the ground. You know that there was never another problem animal event after that day. You bring fathers into messed up environments and rogue people and rogue animals come into their designed order. This is, this is what the, the kingdom's about. Now, I'm not just going to speak about elephants today. I'm going to speak about people because never before has the world been so fatherless. You know, up until now, fatherlessness occurred because of war. So whenever there was a world war, fathers would die, and, and so a generation would grow up with, without fathers. But right now, the world exists in a space where there haven't been significant wars, and yet there's a fatherlessness that has occurred because of abscondment. Fathers just haven't taken on their right because they don't know the heavenly father. They've walked away from the heavenly father, so they don't understand their identity as fathers. In South Africa, it's... it's because of that, plus the effect of apartheid and the evil of moving men out of their family nucleuses onto mines and absolutely destroying the family nucleus, we've got a fatherlessness problem to another level. And, and so when you see rogue behavior, like when you, when you see what's just happened with Unene and when you see the Am I Next campaign and, and you see all the stuff that's going down in South Africa, when you start to see that stuff, you know rogue behavior is happening not because we have bad policies, but because we have fatherlessness. And the job of the church is to point people to the Father, to reveal the Father, and to live out and be fathers, which, makes, which is why I get so excited when I hear stories of adoption and people taking children in because you're representing something of the Father. And so today I'm going to minister to you about the Father. But in order to do that, I've, I've got to do a little, um, a little example or a little skit that shows you all of Scripture when it comes to this fatherlessness. So Rowena's going to be Satan because she looks just like him. There we go. Okay, and Clint, I need you and Taryn. This is the naughtiest oak in Florida Road, but we managed to get him up here. It's not. Taryn is Rowena's sister, and she's pretty hectic herself. I oh, love you. And, and Taylor, you're just going to come in the middle here. Now, all of the Bible quickly explained in a very humorous way in, in three minutes. Okay, so, so here's, here's the deal. The Bible says that Adam, in Luke, it defines Adam as the son of God. The son of God, he comes onto this earth to have a relation. I need a dad. Bri, I need you. You're a dad. You look like a dad. There we go. Would you mind standing behind Jesus over there? Okay. The son of God, the son of the father, what happens to Adam is that the God of this world, Scripture calls Satan, comes, and you can give him a big wink. There we go. Comes to tempt, test, and draw blind the eyes of those who do not believe. Yeah, you can go there. Bye, Jesus. <laughs> 
and, and lead them astray. And so we see this with Adam. And then as you follow the scriptures, the Bible says that Israel, God calls Israel my firstborn son. And as you watch Israel right through the ages, you see Satan coming in different ways to lure Israel away from the Father. And every now and again, someone gets this right, but for the most part, yeah, yeah, it's fun, pushing you around, doesn't often happen. Okay, for the most part, Israel keeps getting bent back to Satan. And so the Father sends Jesus, the Son. Now, whenever I use the son language, ladies, sons, and daughters is actually the, the same word used. But the Bible says the father sends the son, and the son is sent for three reasons. Well, four reasons, actually. The first one is to destroy the works of the devil, the scripture says in John, in 1 John. And then it says that, that Jesus comes to reveal the father. So he says stuff like this. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And then he, he says, Jesus says of himself, he, I mean, he, he talks of, sorry, the, the father. He says, you, though you're evil as dads, like you know how to do good stuff, how much more my heavenly father. So again and again, he's trying to reveal to people what the father's like because we have been led astray by Satan to believe something different about the Father. Third reason is that Jesus comes to show us what a relationship dependent on the Father looks like. So as we watch Jesus' life, we understand how we should live dependent on the Father. And the fourth reason that Jesus comes is to make a way for the sons, you can go back, to go back to the Father. When you understand Jesus' role, then you start to understand that the Father is the one that you have the relationship with, but you can't have it without the Son. And you have it by the Holy Spirit. Okay, you guys are incredible. Your acting is off the charts. Thank you so much. So I'm going to talk about the Father But in order for you to understand the Father, I need to explain to you what Jesus does and and how he goes about doing it. And, And before Jesus could actually do any ministry, he had to face the temptation and the trial that every one of us have to face, which is basically how to get around being blinded by the God of this world, how to break through that. And so we read in in. Matthew chapter 3, and when you understand how Jesus handles Satan, you start to understand how you're meant to live, and it says this. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say He will order His angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. But Jesus responded, The Scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. 
Next, the devil took him to a peak of a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of this world and all their glory. I'll give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus said, told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of him. I want to look at the start because it sets up everything else. Father comes to Jesus and the spirit settling on him as a dove and he speaks these words. He says, this is my son, which is his identity, whom I love, which is acceptance, with whom I'm well pleased, which is approval. Father says, this is who you are. I unconditionally love you and I'm pleased with you before he's done anything. Now, let me try and explain why this is such a big deal. I, um, I was driving here this morning. It was fascinating timing. And my little girl says to me, Dad, what's a step brother? What's a step sister? What's a step dad? What is, what's the step deal? So I said to her, I said, my babe, and it took me a few moments to get my head right. And I said, my, my babe, when dad was born, his real father left him. And when dad was 10, his stepfather stepped in to father dad. And so she said, why did your real dad leave you? And I said, baby, because he had another family. And she says, dad, if it was me, I would have chosen you. My little boy says, so dad, did he choose his family over you? Now, I know I'm about to preach on this, so I'm trying not to cry. And I said, I said yes, my boy, he, he chose his family over me. And then he, my little boy says, so, Dad, did Grandpa Gary come and play that role? And I said, yes, my boy, that's what stepdads do. Now, let me tell you about what happens when a stepdad comes in. So, I grew up, my mom was a, she was incredible, but she was a teacher. And, uh, and we lived on teacher's salary. I ate too much mince for any human being. <laughs> we, we grew up fairly poor, and, uh, and you learn stuff as a single child. You learn that nobody's going to teach you stuff. You, you learn that on weekends, everyone else is going to go do something with their dads, but you're going to come to school the next day, and you're not going to be able to partake in that conversation because they're going to talk about my dad, and my dad and I did this, and you're going to be the son of no dad. But when you get adopted, when your stepfather comes in, everything begins to change. And I knew it had changed when, when I went in and, and I'd gone from this kind of poor background and I walked into my new home and there were fishing rods and there were rifles and there were toys and there was stuff for me to play with. And I, I suddenly had stuff. And then the one day my dad comes and he's bought me a new cricket bat. I told him that he said to me, which sport do you want to play, my boy? And I said, I want to play cricket. And he went and bought me a cricket bat. And he gave it to me. It was, it was the first, like, big present I'd ever had. And I grabbed that cricket bat, and I, I held on to it. I knocked it in more than any cricket bat has been knocked in. And I put linseed oil on it, probably too much. And then I slept with it in my bed and destroyed my mom's sheets. Like, that's what you do when it's a, when it's a new day. And I go to school the one day. And just understand, 
I know I look skinny now, but then I was skinny on a whole nother level. And, uh, and, and my, my daughter says that I'm coffee and mom is peach. But, but back then I was anemic white. It was, that was the vibe. And I was shy and nervous. But now Gary was my father. And you know when you get into those fights about my dad can beat up your dad? Well, my dad was a professional hunter and he sh could shoot your dad's ass from 200 meters. Like. <laughs> and stuff changed. And so I got to school and on the way back, in the bus, one of, I'm in grade four, one of these grade sixes says to me, can I, can I see your bat? And I'm so proud. I say, here you go. And I give it to him. And he starts banging it. And then he bangs the edge against the steel lip. And Ross, the son of Gary, says, stop. You see, Ross, the son of no dad, would have said nothing. But Ross, the son of Gary, I, I could feel I'd change. He says, stop. And he didn't stop. And so Ross, the son of Gary, hit him in the nose. And blood came out, and angels danced and joyed. And, and there was just joy in heaven as angels clapped. And, and good stuff happened everywhere. I changed. Now I was the son of. And when you're the son of, you, you look at life differently, and you, you treat life differently. And today, when I've had a rough day at work, you know where I go? I go to Gary's house, where I'm not a pastor, I'm not an elder, I'm not a boss, I'm not a board member. I am Ross, the son of Gary. And there are too many people, even in this room, who do not know what it's like to be a son and the result of an orphan-heartedness is that you will always be trying to protect. You'll always be trying to provide for yourself and hustle. You will always be trying to make a way. In fact, even hearing this message on the Father heart is difficult for orphan-hearted people. Because here's what I've realized as I've worked out of my orphan-heartedness is that if you're an orphan-hearted person, you have lived your entire life being dependent on you. And you see investments in relationships just like that. You see them as investments. And you go, should I invest in here? Because is there going to be a good return or not? And so relationships don't just flow. Relationships are something that you, you look at very calculatingly. And what you do with your heart is you hold it very carefully. And you're careful with whether you give it to someone or not. And generally, you hold quite a chunk back. See, this is fatherlessness. And so many people here will live and have grown up with maybe even having a father, but there's a fatherlessness that's inside of you, and so you never feel at home. The thing about Jesus is that those words had so deeply shaped him that whenever he was with the Father, he was Jesus, the Son of the Father, and he was at home, which enabled him to overcome temptation. So Satan comes to him, he's hungry, he hasn't eaten for 40 days, and Satan says to him, he says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And we know that Jesus could, because he turned five loaves to feed 5,000 people. He can turn the stones into bread. There's a temptation happening. And, and what Satan's doing 
is he's going, will you take matters into your own hands or will you trust the Father? I want to tell you about temptation for a moment because most people think that temptation is to do with willpower and discipline. Temptation is not. Temptation is to do with what you believe about the Father, whether you believe he's going to come through or not. And so temptation loses its hold if you think that on the back of this potential relationship, the father's got something better, then you don't date the non-Christian. If you, if you think that on the back of me tithing or not tithing, the father is a provider, you act in faith and tithe. You see, this is the thing about temptation. Temptation is just a, will you wait for the father or are you going to take this into your own hands and go back to your orphan-heartedness? And Jesus says to Satan, I don't live on bread alone. He's, he's not talking about bread. He's going, I don't live on the sustenance that the world can give me alone. I live on the voice and the word of the Father, that's what shapes me. This conversation with Satan keeps going. And Satan comes to him, takes him to the top of the temple in Jerusalem. And he says, if you're the son, jump off because the angels will protect you. Now, I need you to understand. There are three weapons Satan has that he uses against you. And I've heard people say that, that Satan's not very creative. He only has three weapons. I don't think he needs any more because these work so well. So he comes to us with three weapons. He comes to Eve. Uh, Satan, can you be Eve for a moment? He comes to Eve. And he says, Eve, look at the apple. Now, the apple's over there. We don't know what it was, but let's call it an apple. Seems to work. The apple's over there, and it's a Woolies apple, not a Checkers apple. And so she looks at the apple, and it's beautiful to the eye. Scripture says that Satan's first weapon is the lust of the eyes. And then she looks at the apple, and she can feel her taste buds starting to kick in, and saliva starting to come out because it looks delicious, and she can almost taste it. Scripture says the lust of the flesh is a second weapon. And then Satan says to her, if you eat that, you will become like God. You will be something you're currently not. Anyone ever feel like anyone's telling you that you're currently not something? And that if you bought that, maybe you would be that something. If you were a little bit more like that, if you were a better husband like him, if you were a better wife, if you were a better... It's called pride. It's his third weapon, the pride of life. Thank you so much, Eve and Satan and Rowena. It's lovely to have you here. Satan comes to him. And he starts the sentence with, if you're the son of God... The rest of the sentence basically goes, prove yourself. Prove it. And Jesus looks at him and he goes, I'm not going to test God. 
I, I don't need to prove myself to you. When I heard those words, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. I had all the approval that I needed. I don't need to prove myself anymore to you. And some of you need to speak to your soul and say, boss, I do not need to prove myself anymore. Husband, wife, I don't need to prove myself anymore. God is the one who gives me approval. It's, it's what sons and daughters of the living God do. That's how we live. You know, when, um, when I was 16, uh, I was playing in, in a Zim cricket trials thing. And um, up until that moment, I, I had an average of 95. It was, it was, I was basically guaranteed a spot if I just made a 50. I just had to make a 50. And so I go in to bat first game. It's been raining a bit. And this guy bowls probably the slowest bouncer that's ever been bowled. It was like, it was like someone went like this with a tennis ball. And, and I swung about a minute early. I probably could have swung back and hit it if I, if I tried. It was so, that's how slow it was. But the nerves and everything else kicked in, and this ball hit me in the head. Now, it wasn't very hard because it bounced up to me, but it still hit me in the head. And it knocked my confidence completely. And from then on, I couldn't make runs. And so I get to the third day. I've had three matches. My high score is 30. And I'm going, it's not a chance. And I'm sitting on the bed. I'm just weeping. I've been practicing, and everything's been lined up for this. And I, I messed up. And my, my dad comes in, my stepfather. You know, the Holy Spirit revealed to this to me after, after I got saved. I didn't realize it at the time, but my stepfather sits down next to me, puts his arm around my shoulder, and he says, my boy, I don't mind whether you make the Zim cricket side or the world cricket side, or you just, you and you, you don't make it. I am proud of you because you're mine and because you've turned into such a great kid. And he just keeps heaping words of approval. And some of you need to hear these words of approval because they're actually from the Father straight into your spirit. He says, you are good, and being with you is the best thing in my life. He's, he just speaks life over me. But my spirit is so often-hearted, and I'm so tired to making this team so that I can feel good about myself that I can't hear it. It takes 10 years, and the Holy Spirit's work in my life before I can hear it. And some of you have a father who has said it, but Satan did something and you couldn't hear it, and your relationship was broken, and he wants to heal it, the Father. When I go home, when I used to go home back to my home in Zim, I'm an only child. It's, it's nauseating how much of an only child I am. I, I, I'm that. Some of you can tell. Uh, but I, I go home to Zim, and everywhere in our house, there are photos of me, or they used to be. And uh, the photos of problem animals that we hunted together, and their photos of sporting achievements, and their photos of, of prefect, and this and that, and it's just photos everywhere. And then, in, in like the prime area where everybody gets to see above the mantelpiece, there's, there's a picture of me basically looking utterly anemic, and I, I'm dressed for the North Pole. And right next to me, my dad's standing, and he's wearing like court court broker, like they do in Polokwane, like very court. And, and he's got a tan, and he's holding a fishing rod with a fish on the end of it, and I've got nothing. And I said to him, I said, Dad, I understand. Those photos, I understand what's going on there, but tell me what on earth is going on here. He says, oh, that's my favorite. 
He says, you'd been, you'd been really sick. And the doctor had said that you needed to stay in bed. But I watched you in bed and, and I decided to break you out. And so I took you fishing. And that day you didn't catch anything, but I just got to spend time with you. One of the best days of my life. And the Heavenly Father would say to some of you, I just want to spend time with you so I can have the best day of my life. Often-hearted people go like this. Sons and daughters of the living God go like this. Now there's a third temptation. Satan comes to Jesus and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, I'll give them all to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. He appeals to what Jesus can see. Jesus, the kingdoms were his, but they got stolen because blinded sons gave the kingdoms over to Satan. And Jesus knows there are only two ways to get the kingdoms back. It's either bow down and worship Satan or go to the cross. And he chooses the cross because the thing about being driven and given approval to by the Father is that everything inside of you wants to please him. And some of you are going through suffering and you're doubting God because your framework is if life is good, God is good. If life is hard, God isn't good. And I want to say to you, you don't understand the kingdom. If you are in the same family as Jesus, you will suffer like Jesus. It is part of being a child of God. You'll do it with a smile on your face to please the Father. Maybe not always smiling, but you will please the Father. It's what flows out. Now, I taught you this, not to get you to resist temptation. I'd love it if you did. But I've taught you all of this because I want you to understand the heart of the Father. Because there is a trap from the enemy. It's to lure you into the flesh. So let me, let me explain this. I went to Bali. Someone bought me a ticket to Bali. It was amazing. When I got to the airport, they took my ticket and they, they looked at it, typed some things in. The guy smiled at me and he upgraded me to business class. He, he did it for three of us. My one mate started going, no, no, I didn't pay for business class. I, and I'm a pastor. I said, no, bro, learn to receive. Just take it. <laughs> we went into business class. It's the first time I've ever been anywhere near business class, apart from a short walk through it. And, and we went into business class, and, and I could tell that I didn't belong because the lady next to me kept looking at me as though I didn't belong in business class. I think it might have been because I was playing with that chair, going up, down, up, down, all around. And, uh, and when, they, when they offered drinks, I know I'm a pastor, but I had a lot of them. It was, it was just incredible. I went from there to an island where the surf was so magnificent that, that I surfed and kite surfed for about seven and a half hours most days which is just like a pig in mud, basically. I, I just surfed and kited. The one day my body was so broken that I woke up in the morning and only surfed for four hours and then read a book the whole rest of the day. My mind was satisfied. My emotions 
were satisfied. My body, my physicality was satisfied. But the one day we went to a restaurant, and we were sitting at this restaurant, and this Aussie guy comes over, and he starts oversharing. It's just TMI, too much information. It's just, uh, I've got a cocaine addiction, and I'm lost, losing my wife, and I'm here to drink and surf, and, and he just goes on and on and on and on, and telling us his whole life story. And, and when he paused, Dave Gould was sitting next to him, and he says, why don't you keep fighting for your wife? And the guy kind of looks, and then Dave says, because Jesus can help you get her back. And he starts speaking to him. He just speaks quietly as a father to an orphan. And he starts just talking to him. And afterwards, the guy says to him, I didn't know why I came to your table, and I didn't know why I was oversharing so much, but I just felt safe here. You know, whilst Dave was speaking to him, I could feel my soul beginning to jump up and down. You see, the waves can minister to my body, and the book can minister to my mind, and my emotions can be on a fly because I'm with best friends, but my soul only the Father can grab hold of. There was a second time on that trip. uh, I'm walking down this reef, and mostly it's dead. But we get to the one corner of the island where the reef is alive and beautiful. And I've got my two mates with me. They're both Christians. And we're looking at the coral, and it's bright, luminous green and blue. And I just, out of my spirit, erupts praise. And in that moment, my soul was satisfied. You see, you can achieve all the things in life, but if your soul does not connect with the Father, it will never be satisfied. You will always be longing. And so I want to give you a chance to come back to the Father. For some of you, for the first time, for others of you who've been chasing all the other stuff your whole life that doesn't satisfy the soul. And so is Fiona still here? Shame. Fee, come, come. As she comes up, I want to minister to you. Especially... If you're so often-hearted that you're pushing this message away, I'm going to ask you to stand. Will you stand with me? If you can, if you can honestly say, or if you're honest enough to say, my soul has not been satisfied by the Father. And I want my soul to be satisfied by the Father. If you've never asked Christ into your life, He's the only way. And if if you want to respond and ask Christ into your life so that your soul can be ministered to, why don't you just stick up your hand? See anyone? Can I see your hand? See anyone else? Yeah, for that one, for that person. I want you to pray this. Jesus, thank you so, so much for coming to the cross. And I think you've always believed, so I want you to understand this. Jesus, I put my sin on you so that you, though you were sinless, can carry my sin. And I, though I'm sinful, can carry your righteousness so that I can go to the Father. 
but now you've got to be bold. You see, this is, this is the difference between people who receive from the Father and people who don't. As, as a son or daughter of God, you come to the Father and you come in Jesus' righteousness and you come and you say, Father, I need you. I need you to shape me. I need you to speak to me. I need your approval. I need your love. I need your acceptance. I need you. Because I'm righteous, holy God, come and father me. And put your spirit upon me that seals my adoption, that I can feel it and sense it and walk in it, so that my life will change this day. That's the prayer that you just need to believe. And you'll begin to experience the Father. Now for the rest of us, I believe there are so many people who are not living in the satisfaction that your soul desires, which is from the Father because you're chasing other stuff. And if that's you, and you just want to receive that, won't you just put up your hands in a receiving attitude? Just, Lord, I want that. Here's, here's part of that journey. It's going, God, I'm so sorry for trying to fill my soul with that which you told me couldn't. I want it to come from you, Heavenly Father. And so I come to you through the Son who makes me righteous and I grab hold of heaven and I say, God, as I come before you boldly to your throne room of grace, will you pour out your love and your approval? Will you pour your word into my soul? Will you pour your life into my soul? And I will fast. I will, I will starve myself of everything else if you will just satisfy my soul. So come upon me and change my future. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.